to send regards from Ronell. Uh, we were a couple of weeks um, doing some ministry in the UK. My daughter is over there, and it was her birthday yesterday, and so Ronell stayed a bit longer. And uh, so she's praying for you and sends her regards. Father, we thank you that as we gather together uh, like this, it's not that we need to hear from a man, we need to hear from you. And we thank you for your word this morning, Lord. It's powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword. As we just prayed, Father, send us. We pray also prepare us, equip us, change us. Let your word have the highest authority this morning. Um, and I myself, put myself under that word again. Trust you, Holy Spirit, that you'd apply it correctly to our hearts, to our minds. You'd open our ears, open our eyes, that we go away from this place this morning, Lord, more like Jesus and ready to do your will. We ask this in Jesus' name. Awesome. So this morning, I'm going to jump right in. I feel like God wants to just remind us that uh, we need to continue to be effective in warfare. I don't think warfare is the focus. Jesus is the focus. But, um, and I'm not like one of Dudley's sons, but I can remember Dudley saying that if you want a large inheritance, you're going to have to fight for it. It's amazing to watch how warfare has changed just in the world since um, World War II. Uh, I think with the, the coming of age of social media, a lot of strategy is just to uh, sow misinformation, things that are not true. Uh, I also see how sanctions and financial situations can affect the whole war. Even biological warfare, how sickness and disease can be weaponized to just stop an army moving forward. And then I also watch these drones where it's these mechanisms that are programmed long you know, before, before the time and someone remotely sitting and firing that into uh, an area that you're not even in the battlefield. And I think something of the, the spiritual um, warfare has also changed over the last while. And I believe that um, of the next season, that some of the giants that have stood over the church, that have stood over nations, are going to come down and fall. And I'm not putting this on you, but I am believing that God is going to give us territory that we haven't occupied before as the church. Places and spaces that we haven't seen in towns and villages and cities and nations. And for that, we need to make sure that we continue to be effective in our warfare so that we're not worn out by warfare and that warfare is not the focus. And so that's what I want to speak about this morning and trust that it'd be helpful. I think the first point to realize, as it says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, it, uh, it says, therefore, we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities in the unseen world. It's amazing, the same word used there for wrestling. For me, wrestling is a contact sport. And yet, this verse, we are all wrestling with what's unseen. And so I think there are different battlegrounds that we engage this battle in, and we have to be aware of how to just deal with those different battlegrounds. It's against mighty powers in this dark world and evil spirits in heavenly places. And so my first point is just that I, I feel like God reminding us that we have to acknowledge that part of the war we're fighting is a spiritual one. I think the enemy is as happy with, with us focusing on him, you know, um, 
Sometimes there's a, a spirit behind everything. Someone bumps their toe and someone says, that's the spirit of toe bumping. Or, or someone's offended with someone else and they walk in and, and say, I discern there's a spirit of disunity. I think the devil is as happy with us seeing a spirit behind everything as he is with us completely ignoring that there is a spiritual battle going on. And I'm aware that as I live my life, as I lead family, church, do whatever God calls me to do, that at least some part of what I'm seeing is because of an unseen world working out in, an, in our natural world. Sure, there's some of my decisions, there's some of God's sovereignty, but there is a big part that I have to be aware that I have to be on my God and, and effectively warfare against those things. Um, I... I feel like in a Joshua season that if we're going to walk into our inheritance, God is preparing us on how to effectively wage war. And for me, there's, a, there's those three battlegrounds. And we watch in Exodus chapter 17 how I feel God prepares Joshua and the people to make them aware that something of what they're going to face is a spiritual battle. In Exodus chapter 17, we see that there's a major shift in the people. 400 years of Slavery, which means orphan, widow, victim, that thinking, shifting into Israel is my firstborn son. And I, I remember how Brent preached so well about our minds have to shift to line up with the identity that God's given us. And so you see the people wrestling in their minds. There's a battlefield in their minds. Um, Israel as a nation is changing. They're stepping to the forefront of history. They're becoming a nation. At this point, 400 years of history is changing. It's almost like God's people is becoming something to be reckoned with on the, the stage of history. And then we see there's a geopolitical change, a lot of changes in Egypt. One of the mightiest armies gets pulled down. The Hittites, the Parasites, the Canaanites, Parasites. There's a major shift in their, I think, their economic systems, their education systems, their financial systems, because the people of God are stepping into their identity. And so we see this working out in Exodus chapter 17. After the people had been released from Egypt, we see that in verse 3, the people were thirsty for water. They grumbled against Moses and they said, why? Did you bring us out of Egypt to make our children and our livestock die of thirst? And so for me, the first battleground is the battleground of the mind. And under pressure, um, there's this thinking they just can't get past. In fact, if you read that story, the automatic response is, let's stone someone. Okay, Moses. Under pressure, whatever mindset we're in comes out. And so there is a battleground called the mind. And I reckon there are certain thoughts that will trigger certain things in your life, might be specific and unique. But what's interesting is at that same point, the Amalekites attack all God's people. There's a bigger battleground, and that's the battleground of the church. Remember, this battle against the Amalekites is not for inheritance. It's not for, it's just because the people of God are on the way to the promises of God. It's a bigger threat to the kingdom of darkness. And you remember that story in Exodus 17 where Moses goes up to the top of the mountain and Aaron and Hur holds up his hands and God says, write this down for Joshua so that he can remember a large part of the battle is a spiritual battle where leaders need to work in team with stay focused on the throne of God, on the king and his kingdom while they're doing the battle, 
And that's how you're going to walk into the inheritance that God, God has for you. And, and it's amazing because um, those verses, I think they'll go up there in, in Exodus 17. It says in verse 13, So Joshua overcame the Amalekites, army with the sword. And then the Lord said to Moses, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure Joshua hears it because I will completely blot out the memory of Amalek under heaven. It's a generational change that comes through the people of God just being on the way to the promises of God. Um, Moses built an altar to the Lord and said, the Lord is my banner. And he said, for hands were lifted up to the throne of God. The Lord will be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation. It's phenomenal. Something of what the battle we're engaged with, with God getting involved in that battle, brings a generational change that will forever leave the landscape different. It's a different battleground than just in my mind. You get it? And then um, I think in Joshua chapter 3 verse 10, I think there's an even bigger battlefront. And that for me is the heavenly places. And I think as the church of Jesus Christ, as we engage the enemy on that battlefront and walk, walk into what God's promised us, I do believe cities and nations and communities will change. In Joshua chapter 3 verse 10, it says, Today you will know that the living God is among you, and he will surely drive out the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Parasites, all those guys ahead of you. And so I don't believe that the enemy will give up a, a bit of ground, not an inch, without a fight. And uh, we, we, we have to just remind ourselves that we have to stay effective in our warfare. We must know when to resist, know when to stand, when to take captive, when to step forward, when to find peace, because the God of peace will soon crush Satan under our feet. I believe that you can be a soldier without being a leader, but I think it's very difficult to be a leader without at some point being a soldier. And that's what God's trying to show Joshua before Jericho even comes, that a large part of the battle is spiritual and it's won by keeping your mind and your heart on the throne. I realize that there are some things that are absolutely determined to live in my mind. There are some things that are stubbornly determined to live in the church and exist in the church. And there are some things that are stubbornly determined to exist in society and in the world. And I feel like God's saying there's ground that we're going to take and occupy in those areas. Giants that have cast shadows over us for many years are going to come down. And so just um, looking at those three battlegrounds a little bit more, um, the battleground of the mind, I think... Um, I'm aware that there is major mental fatigue at the moment because we are processing so much information at the moment, more than ever, and a large part of that information is harmless, but I think hidden in between some of that are some thoughts that are very harmful and detrimental to ourselves and, and to, to, to us as people. And in the military, a, a big part of our strategy to slow down the enemy would be to lay a minefield. And um, a minefield, you know, landmines, you get anti-personnel and anti-tank mines. And when you lay them, you're supposed to keep a map of them. So that if you know where they are, the ground right next to it is perfectly safe to step on. 
But if you happen to step on the path that's not safe, what it does to an army is, first of all, it sows absolute panic. Is any ground safe? And to see someone hurt and damaged slows the whole army down. That's the goal of it. And um, often what will happen is you br the formation that you're marching forward in is broken up. And you have to adapt and change. I think it's very rarely that, you, that, uh, that, that we confront, confront Satan face to face. You know what I mean? I mean, there is this one occasion, this one guy I can think of. He was a Satanist. But I, I think most times what happens is behind the scenes, remotely, the enemy is planting thoughts into our minds and laying them in places we're not sure. And sometimes we go along so used to that, that all the ground is safe that when we step on it, it triggers something in our minds that disable us from, from, from moving forward. And um, like I say... Uh, even for you sitting there this morning, I think there, there might be some circumstances that trigger certain thoughts that would disable, distract, or discourage us if they come into our minds. And that uh, often it's hurt or bitterness when it comes to uh, things that disable us. It's the disappointment after investing in people and, and everything else that in our minds there's a battle to make sure we, we don't give in to that. There's a distraction. There's certain thoughts that if they come to you, it's almost like you leave everything else and you'll focus on that. And it'll consume you. It's like you've stepped on a piece of ground that's triggered something that's distracting you from, from what God's called you. And then there's this discouragement. And we know in Romans chapter 12 that we shouldn't copy the behavior and the customs of the world, but let God transform us into a new person by changing the way that we think. And just honestly, in my prayer time for us, I'm saying, Lord, help us in the area of our minds. Help us in the area of our minds because often it's a battlefront where we're confronting the unseen but we're wrestling with it. And so I find with myself I often have to do a little bit of mind sweeping. That's the tool that was given to us in the army. You know, it's a metal detector and you walk around and it can show you what's underneath the ground that you don't see. You know those things? Beep, beep, beep. There's something about Peter. And so I think there are three things that God said to Joshua as you go into taking ground. Number one, don't let the word depart from you. From your meditate on it day and night. Um, they, they celebrated the Passover for the first time and there was a circumcision that happened. Three tools, I think, that, that helps me when I'm, when I'm Making room in my mind to say, Lord, I don't want to just be busy. I don't want to be rushing. I want you to have a look at how my mind is, is going and the track that I'm on and the places I'm walking. Uh, make sure. So the first one is the teachings of Jesus. It's the word of God. John chapter 8 verse 31. You all doing all right? Good. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings, or some trans translations say if you hold on to my teaching and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So um, for me, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 is the foundation of Jesus' teaching, right? That's where he taught us. And, and it teaches about prayer, it teaches about fasting, it teaches about giving and all that. But have you noticed that in the Old Testament, the whole Old Testament, I, I can't find one person calling God Father. 
And yet in those three chapters, Jesus, almost 15 times, he says, your father in heaven sees in secret. Your father in heaven rewards. Your father in heaven knows what you need. Your father in heaven. And so again, for me to live in freedom in my mind is to make sure that my thinking is lining up with my identity. I'm not a victim. I'm not an orphan. I'm not a widow. I'm not a slave. I'm a son. And so if I want to avoid in my mind becoming disabled, distracted, or discouraged, I have to constantly look at my thinking and say, is it lining up with the teaching of Jesus? You got it? Sometimes we're so busy, we just keep going in the same line, in the same vein, stepping on the same thing that's, that keeps injuring us. We've got to adjust. The teaching of Jesus also says, make sure the focus is the kingdom. Seek first the kingdom. And so all these thoughts in my mind, I have to ask myself, Donnie, is that seeking first the kingdom? Is that in line with you have a father who sees, who knows, who rewards, who's absolutely perfectly just, who's absolutely 100% fair? Get my mind back in line with that. And so the first mind sweeping thing for me is the word. Secondly is the blood of Jesus and we know that. It's amazing in Joshua chapter 5 verse 10. While the Israelites camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, they celebrated the Passover on the evening of the 14th day of the first month. Ephesians 1, 7, in him we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of sins accordance, in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Putting my mind not only under the word, but under the blood that cleanses, that forgives. That's how we will. And thirdly, there's a circumcision. Remember Joshua chapter 5 verse 9. The Lord said to Joshua, Today I've rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. It's more than 40 years ago they left Egypt. And it's only on that day. Remember Stan spoke about shame. It was on that day when the Holy, and we know in the New Testament circumcision is not done by the hands of man, but by the Spirit of God in the hearts of men. When the Holy Spirit removes certain things from our mind, it's not helpful. Amen. I want to remind us today that God has an inheritance for us. We're going to have to make sure we warfare effectively. The battlefield of the mind is somewhere we really got to get better at, I think. Make sure that we're not spending too much time and energy on things we shouldn't. Second battleground for me is the church. And uh, <clears throat> I want to say this, that you and I are special. We're very special but we're not that special, I think, that the enemy would spend all of his time just when I'm battling in my mind. I think it's when we step up to the agenda, the mission, the mandate of the church that we step up and step forward to a different battleground, which is the battleground of the church, the battleground of the people of God. It's extending his rule and his reign 
It's when the priesthood of believers step up in the authority and the power that God has for us. And when we begin to move towards what God has promised us, we become a threat to the kingdom of darkness. Matthew 16, 18, it says, I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind um, on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. That's an incredible scripture. Uh, it talks about the gates of Hades, and if you look at that word Hades, it has bars, it has cords. When you go there, you don't come out. It's, it's the place of death and evil, and Jesus is declaring war against death and evil, and he's saying that the church is the vehicle through which he's going to do it. And um, I don't know if you've had the privilege of seeing this machine operator. I, I think we've got a picture there, but that is an M58 mine-clearing line charge. There's another way to get across a minefield. This guy at Army Battle School, you'll see, is operated by a team, and what, what, what it is is really a cord, thick like this, full of C4. And if you're in a combat situation and you need to cross a minefield and you're not sure where the mines are, you can deploy this and it's probably over 100 meters long. What they do is they fire this harpoon, that cord falls on the ground and detonates and explodes and you've got a corridor in a combat situation of at least 20 meters where you can take your vehicles across and quickly take ground and get your enemy uh, uh, on the surprise and get into the territory that they're trying to keep you out of. It's, it's absolutely cool. You can go and watch some of those videos if you want to. But that's the church. <laughs> Ask Peter. <laughs> it's amazing. When we together, like behind the mission and the mandate and the message that God has given us, that's when the walls of Jericho can just, in a moment, we can just cross over and the whole landscape looks different. You know, when I give you the keys of my, I don't know if I should show this because my wife's keys, yeah, I know, it's a pink little thing. I came in her car. When I give you the keys, you don't have to ask permission Whatever's in that car, it's yours. Whatever, you can take it wherever you want to go, whenever you want to go. The church is the only entity on the planet that Jesus has said, I've entrusted you with keys that unlock the power of heaven to push back the forces of darkness. That, that's, that's the power of the kingdom breaking through the church. And, and I want to remind you that we have to rally around the mission and the mandate and the message of, of the kingdom through the church. Because there's power in it. A few things as I, as I just land us that I want to remind us in that battle, it's a long-term battle. Till Jesus comes back, we're going to have to fight that battle. In Joshua chapter 11... It says there that the Israelite territory extended all the way from Mount Halak, which leads up to Syria to the south, as far as Balgad at the foot of Mount Hermon in the valley of Lebanon. Joshua killed the kings of those territories, waging war for a long time to accomplish this. Like Grant said this morning, praying for the, it's a long-term war. It's not done yet. Till Jesus comes back. 
And the mission and the mandate of the church, the message of the church is not going to change. We've got to keep at it. We've got to keep moving forward to that battle line where we're engaging the enemy. The second thing I want to say is that as the church, the battle is not won till everyone's won. This is what God says to Joshua. You want to take this territory, make sure those that have got their inheritance this side of the Jordan. In, in Joshua chapter 1, it says, make sure they go across. Uh, I'm picking up verse 12 there. It says, but strong warriors, fully armed, must lead the other tribes across the Jordan to help them conquer their territory. Stay with them until the Lord gives them rest as he has given you rest and until they too possess the land the Lord your God is giving them. Only then may you return and settle down. The only time we're going to settle down is when everybody's won. But until then, we have to lead, we have to help, we have to fight for others, we have to help them walk in their inheritance. That's what the church does. Is that okay? And the third thing I wanna say is, we have to keep the bigger picture in mind. It's not just about our local church. It's about a kingdom advancing. In Joshua chapter 4, when God um, speaks about uh, why he opened the Jordan in the first place to let the people go into their inheritance, it says he did all this so that all the nations of the earth may know that the Lord's hand is powerful. He always had all nations in mind. Even with me walking into my inheritance and you walking into your inheritance, he always had all nations in mind. He always had his church worldwide in mind. So the question I just have lastly then is, how do you stop an army like that? Three things. Conflict, carnality, and character. Isn't it amazing that Achan... As they're winning Jericho, they're losing the next battle. And a whole army is stopped in their tracks. And so I, I, I know when we talk about warfare, it's, let's go. But I also want to say to us, on the battleground of the church, we have to make sure that we keep our relationships good. And we deal with our conflict in a way that's biblical. That we forgive each other from the heart. That we love our enemies as Jesus taught in his teachings. We love our enemies. We've got to make sure our motives are good and right. And we've got to make sure that we keep working on our character. Dory, Steve's going to fix all this just now. <laughs> Joshua chapter 7 verse 21. When I saw in the plunder a beautiful robe from Babylonia, 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and I took them. I realized, you see, it's, for me it's not so much about the, the gold as it is about that was meant to be an offering to God that the victory is his glory. Every victory 
is the glory is his. We dare not touch any glory for any victory because every victory, it's supposed to be an offering to God. And when I, when I start to desire that, it's a problem. We, we don't cover covet um, his glory. We don't cover we don't covet someone else's position, their church, their ministry, their voice, their, their anything, because every single victory we win, every victory, is glory to Jesus. It's devoted to Jesus. I must separate that from everything else, if that makes sense. Now God says to Joshua, they get up in Joshua 7, 13, Command the people to purify themselves in preparation for tomorrow. For this is what the Lord says. Hidden among you, Israel, are things set apart for the Lord. You will never defeat your enemies until you remove these things. Their things belong to God. Glory, honor, worship. We can never touch those things. Are you there? And so God's been challenging me and saying, unseat a couple of things. Unseat deceit. And unseat conceit. Definition for deceit is the act or practice of deceiving someone by concealing or misrepresenting the truth. Whew. 1 Peter 2 verse 22. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. Let's not ever pretend. Try and be real. Try and, and this is a challenge for me. But I know that if the, enemy, if the enemy wants to slow down the church, conflict, carnality, character, we've got to get that right. Conceit, just the definition is excessively proud or vain, having or showing an excessive interest and admiration of oneself and one's physical appearance. God opposes the proud gives grace to the humble. If God's against you, <laughs> how can you win any battle? He's the king of kings. And so, there's that. We have to learn again to submit. James chapter 4 verse 7. I'm sure you can, it's just a reminder this morning. Submit yourself. It's a very unpopular message at the moment, but I want to say the scripture says in order for us to resist, we must be able to submit. And that means consistently teachable, dependable, right attitude towards leadership and everything else. We've just got to keep it right so we can resist the devil because there's lots at stake. And then the last thing I want to say, and then I'm going to land, is just get up quickly. Um, get back up quickly. That's the thing God says to Joshua. Deal with the sin. How do you deal with the sin in the New Testament? 1 John 2 verse 1. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate to the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He's the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only for ours, but for the sins of the whole world. You make a mess up, you go to the advocate straight away. Don't waste time. Don't, like Joshua, Lord, what's going on? This is it. It's all over. No, no. We get up. We go to Jesus. Blood of Jesus cleanses us. We get back up. 1 John 1 verse 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just. To forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. We get up. We get going again. That's the call to the church and every priest and every leader. God's calling us to that line. 
to, to push forward. The powers and principalities, you're going to have to work that one out for yourself. Thank you, Grant.